Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Path. <laughs> hey everybody, Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Hope you're doing well. Thank you very much for listening. Top three Tuesday. So, uh, if any of y'all follow along with my Sunday Night Below podcast, you'll notice that I didn't um, didn't put one up this weekend. My wife had to go uh, to New York on a for a conference, and so Saturday morning I had to get up at like 4.30, literally, not like, 4.30 in the morning to get her off to that and everything, and uh, it's kind of that thing where if you, you know you got to get up really early, it makes it harder to go to bed, so I could not fall asleep. So by the time 4.30 came around, I was just freaking delirious. And so came home and tried to take a nap and uh, that thing where you just lay there trying to take a nap and you couldn't, I probably shouldn't have had a cup of coffee. But So by the time it got to be like five, it was clear I wasn't going to be able to GM. I think I like hallucinated a duck walking through the room. I was like, was that a duck? Oh, I can't GM. <laughs> so I uh, thought about Sunday doing just a little whatever ramble cast but no i just needed some time off anyway i needed a needed a minute to just veg out so that's what i did i just vegged completely useless waste of life waste of time that's what my sunday was but but now i'm back in the swing of thing i got uh got a couple of call-ins about past shows and then we got a couple of uh topics from listeners so Really appreciate people calling in with some ideas for top threes because, um, especially this time, because I had nothing. Um, in fact, I got an idea from one of the calls. So if, uh, if any listeners out there want to hear me flap my gums about uh, some kind of top three list, you know, use the Anchor Voice message system and let me know. Uh, but first, I got a couple of call-ins about previous episodes. Let's listen to those now. Hey Froth, Evil Jeff. Just got done listening to your top three from this past Tuesday. I'm a little bit behind there. Uh, I like what you said there about the genres that you like to play. Uh, personally, for me, I would have put superheroes number one, um, only because I like playing champions. If I if I had a system I could go to time and time again, it would be champions. Unfortunately, I don't get a chance to play that much and. Uh, Honestly, I, most of the time I was jamming it uh, for other people, and, and just, I'd love to get in a game, you know, some superhero stuff, even playing even just you know advanced space stuff, you know, make it science fictiony or something. So, yeah, I like that. Um, I'll probably take you up on your uh, top three black and white illustrations. So, look forward to that. Hey, froth. This is Angus from Kirby's Kids podcast just wanted to chime in on my favorite illustrations from advanced dungeons and dragons uh number three and that comes from page 23 of the player's handbook a paladin in hell by david sutherland epic epic piece of art number two comes from page 44 of the fiend folio and it's of the Githyanki yankee battling and that's done by russ nicholson 
And my number one choice from page 31 of Deities and Demigods, The Master of the Hunt, done by Jim Rosloff. Absolutely love it. I'm a longtime listener. Love the Wednesday blogorama. Keep up the great work, and I'll catch you later. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for the calls. You heard from Evil Jeff from Minions and Musings, and then Angus from Kirby's Kids. And uh, Kirby's Kids is a podcast you can find on Anchor and everywhere that focuses on graphic novels and comics. And um, I, I got to admit, I haven't spent much time listening to it. Um, I quickly favorited it when I noticed it, but, uh, popping over there and looking at some of the topic list recently, like I, I love plastic man. Um, so there, it looks like there's a bunch of plastic man and swamp thing stuff going on over there. And, uh, so I'm going to check that out. I, I'm sure that I have some listeners that are into comics and graphic novels and the history of, uh, of comics. So, um, if you haven't checked out the Kirby's kids podcast, be sure and check that out. And uh, so first with Evil Jeff, yeah, man, I've got first edition champions. I bought it used and um, haven't gotten to play it because as I mentioned before, I guess it's kind of like it sounds like for you. I'm the, like the perma GM, so I'd have to like make that my focus for a while and bring it to the table. If, uh, so, yeah, if you find that elusive champions game, uh, let me know. Maybe I can hop in on there play something with you and then angus uh, great picks there i kind of limited myself to the i probably should should have done like you you did i limited myself to the core three books but when you start getting into the fiend folio and all that man well i'm, I'm glad i'm glad i limited myself to the first three books or i never would have been able to pick anything so but i uh, appreciate both y'all very much for listening all right so we are going to get into the first topic of the day, and this is coming from, yes, the man with the best nickname in gaming, Arfed. Hi, Arfed here. Just listening to your recent top three podcast. Um, you seem to be running out of um, call-ins, so I thought I'd throw another one at you. Um, been filling out some of my sort of adventure ideas recently for an up upcoming uh, campaign I'm going to start and um, been looking at traps um, I think when traps are done really well and players have got a chance of sort of discovering them working them out I think they work really well but then sometimes I think um, yeah they can be a bit unfair or um, you can spend loads of time just wasted searching for traps that are never there. So I'm just wondering what your top three sort of trap designs are or trap ideas. Anyway, if you can let us know, that'd be great. Thanks. Arfed, thank you very much for the call. You're very perceptive. I was indeed running out of uh, top three call-ins, so it was perfect timing for that. So um, anyway... Yeah, traps. I've been thinking about this all week since you left me the message. Um, I will say that uh, I know you mentioned about giving uh, players a chance to disarm them and, and stuff like that. There is something to be said about just original D&D, you know, pre-thief D&D, where the, the dungeons have weird kind of illogical logic to them. You know, you have to roll to try to port, push the door open. The door's automatically shut. 
you just roll a d6 to see if a trap gets triggered and and it's kind of uh it's almost video game even though there was no video games uh, uh but you know i get what you're saying about that and then i hear what you're saying about turning into a slog where they're checking every five minutes or whatever but in my experience that's kind of been a fear but you can easily lull the players back into a, you know, into sleep, you know, into comfort, you know, let them do another, you know, five or six doors or wander the halls and then nothing happened. And pretty soon they're not hitting everything with their 10 foot pole. Pretty soon you're ready to get them again. But I guess I would say that it's good to give them a chance. Most of the time, other times there've been some traps that, um, I'm glad kind of blindsided them because it added to the fun. Uh, I guess it's the kind of thing, and I get to this a little bit, a little bit later with this top three on traps, and then a little bit later on another um, call in. It kind of, you know, if, if if there's a sadistic DM that's constantly, you know, throwing unbeatable or undetectable traps at the party, you're not going to have a table of players after too long. You know, nobody wants to play with someone like that, but you know, on occasion, something like that can add a little spice or fun to the game, be memorable. But anyway, I digress. The ask your question. I was thinking about it and it, it, I'm almost not going to really talk so much about very specific things and more kind of uh, philosophical or types, I don't know, presentation and not so much the specific trap. So um, maybe this will help on your upcoming campaign. Maybe not. But uh, so number three, a little hard to describe, but I, I'm thinking like traps that are hiding in plain sight, you know, and these are things that are particularly good in my experience to use in combat situations um especially depending on what edition or what system you're using um generally the more kind of tactical maybe the better but it could fit into just about anything and this would be where you know maybe the party gets attacked by orcs down a hallway and at the same time there are scything blades that every you know couple of rounds cross across the hallway so it's a trap. It's there, but they don't need to detect it to see it. But it gives interesting choices about, you know, what timing they have to use to get past them. Can they pull or push a orc into the way of the trap? You know, other things could be like, um, you know, clearly marked spots on the floor that uh, you step on them, something happens, or a brazier that shooting a, a jet of fire every couple of rounds on a, at a certain interval. Um, whenever I've used things like that within a combat, it's, um, you know, the, the traps aren't exactly extra monsters or anything. They can hurt the monsters just as well as the, the PCs, but they're there, you know, they're obvious, but those kind of hazards, those hazardous visible traps like that add something to the game. Especially if your game has uh, forced movement, pushing and pulling, you know, wizards that can that can do, you know, forced movement and things like that. So 
there was a lot of that in fourth edition. You see some of it in five E third edition, maybe a little bit less in the classic editions, but it doesn't mean you can't port it into it. And something like that can make for a really memorable encounter. Again, not something you want to use all the time, but something I really appreciate when it's done well. So that's my number three traps that are hiding in plain sight. For my number two, I'm going with countdown traps. What do I mean by this? Well, I believe it's like the, uh, what is it? The hidden shrine of Tomoe Choen. There's like a, a poison gas or something that's being released. So it, it forces the players to keep moving or they're going to die from that poison gas. Other great example from, from pop culture would be in the first Star Wars movie. Well, I guess it's the fourth Star Wars movie, but the one that came out the first where they're in the garbage chute and uh, it's slowly closing in on them. So you don't got to detect, uh, you don't have to detect the fact that the, there's a trap there, but it's happening and you've got to come up with a, a, a solution before the time runs out, right? Another thing would be like something filling, slowly filling with water. Um, God, what's that shark movie? There's a whole cheesy shark movie where the whole thing is I'm trying to escape this underwater thing. It's got Samuel L. Jackson in it. Ugh. Anyway, it's it's a, it's not a good movie, but it's it's you know it's a good bad movie. So uh, it'll I'll remember it the second I'm done with the podcast. I guess if you just search Samuel L. Jackson shark movie, you'd find it. But at any rate. Stuff like that where it adds that pressure. You, you know, no rest. Nobody's going to be spending the night in that dungeon. you got to keep moving. So it's like a, a trap. You know, maybe they can find a way to disarm it. Maybe they can find a way to get out of it. Um, but it's, um, it's it gives them a chance, but it builds that pressure. You know, the water's getting higher. The ga- It's getting harder to breathe. Stuff like that when it's done well, I really enjoy. So... Um, that would be my number two, um, you know, traps that, um, race against time kind of traps, you know, and that could be something in a campaign, not overused, but certainly in a certain location or a certain scenario that would be memorable as well. And so for my number one trap, so did hiding in plain sight traps, race against time traps. And then my number one. It's traps that aren't traps. That's right. You know them. You love them. The cleanup crew. This, the, the anchorites have been talking about rot grubs a lot lately. After Tim Shorts hit Joe the lawyer with some rot grubs, you know. And these are, they, they're trap-like creatures. You know, your green slimes, your, your gray oozes, your gelatinous cubes, your piercers. All these kind of things. I love them. And, um, you know, some of them are easier to detect than others, but they're almost always memorable. One of my first podcasts on here, ugh, going back to my early catalog, I was kind of uh, malformed, but um, in one of the early ones, I talk about a, a cherished campaign memory where Green Slime from the, uh, the Homlet Moat House dropped on one of my players, and it made for a lot of hilarious things, giving them, you know, permanent you know, scarring and, and disfigurement from the green slime. Um, again, 
you're not going to be a, a, a DM with a full table for very long. If all you do is drop rock grubs on, you know, put rock grubs in every pile of wood or drop green slime on every party the whole time. But all of those monsters are ones that are so iconic and memorable that I think adding them maybe once a campaign, you know, each of them trying to figure out a way to put each of them in a campaign at least once is a good idea. And, um, so, uh, I feel like, uh, Egon from Ghostbusters, mold spores and fungus, but that's what I'm saying for my number one, <laughs> yellow mold, uh, you know, any, any of these kind of things, um, are so trap like that, uh, that's what I'm putting as my number one traps that aren't traps. So. I hope that was helpful or at least got the wheels turning our fed and I really do appreciate the call and thank you very much. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey Froth, it's Rob from Down in a Heap and you're coming up with all the really good ideas for topics for different days of the week that you're podcasting and stuff. But I, I mean, I love hump day. I love five minute Fridays. I've really grown to love the uh, top three Tuesdays, too, but here's a couple top three ideas. What's your top three favorite miscellaneous magic items from AD&D? And my old pal, Ardeth Bay, has a question. What's your top three undead monsters? He's hoping one with bandages. That was Rob C. there from the Down in a Heat podcast, another legendary OSR Anchorite podcasting here on Anchor. Thank you for the call in, Rob. I uh, I think I'm going to go with your latter one, the undead. Oh, great one. Great question. Great to think about. I pondered the mummy. Um, you know, I love the univer- old Universal movies and everything, and I uh, thought about the mummy, but... Um, it's maybe something that just hasn't seen as much play on my table to maybe make the top three being kind of higher level and everything. Um, but uh, you want to scare the hell out of the players, <laughs> drop a mummy on them. But um, thinking about this, I was also thinking about, you know, movies I like and, and books I like and other representation of undead creatures. And so that actually led me to my last topic today, but, as far as the undead goes, let's thinking about it, you know, for number three, they're kind of the same thing. The ghouls and ghasts, you know, the ghast is the, the tougher of the two. It's got that troglodyte esque stench going on and smarter, faster. But, um, you know, I do like whites, but you know, it's kind of like talking about overdoing traps or rock grubs or anything. If, if you're overdoing the level drain, you're, you're, you're going to find yourself with an empty table. You know, it's a special occasion kind of thing. Not something you want to be constantly hitting, hitting the players with. Um, paralyzation on the other hand. Oh, now that it's scary. It hurts, but you don't feel as bad as the GM <laughs> paralyzing the players. Hell paralyze the hell out of them. No, but really, um, something about that where, you know, they get those three attacks, that claw, claw bite, you know, and they hit with that first claw and then the player knows, Oh God, they don't even have to roll to hit me now. And the, the ghoul's just a, a slashing and a tearing, a chewing and a chomping, you know, it's just, uh, 
It's a bad feeling as a player when that happens. And, uh, you know, pretty quickly, clerics can make, you know, unless you're using huge hordes of them, clerics can make pretty quick work of them. But those first few levels, the ghouls and ghasts, uh, you know, again, it's it's something where they're not going to drain their levels, but they can definitely do some damage. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Ghouls and gas, uh, from just a purely mechanical standpoint, um, are one of my favorites. So I'm putting them at number three. Makes me want to put some ghouls in my next game and get them chomping in them. <laughs> uh, slashing and a splashing. You know, get them on, you know, the ghoul gets on top of them and just has a good old time. Uh, my players, some of them probably listen to this like, oh, God, no. Rob, why'd you call in? Don't give me any ideas. Uh, so number two, I, I can't get away from the vampire, you know? I do like the mechanics of vampires in D&D and earlier and later editions, but then I also love vampire movies, whether it's old school Dracula, um, whether it's like near dark, where they're just like, Almost undetectable as vampires, just driving around. Uh, if you haven't seen Near Dark, oh, what a great movie. Bill Paxton. Um, other vampire games I even like. Like I've been watching, uh, I don't watch a ton of streaming stuff. I know for a lot of people it's probably like, I don't know, can't even see how you can watch it. But there is a great Vampire the Masquerade stream, uh, L.A. by Night, where uh, you give that, get the, get into that, watch that for a few episodes, and uh, it's 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 fantastic. I'd rather watch that than some TV shows. Um, of course, I've talked about Strahd before, and and um, and and Ravenloft, and um, a vampire can be just a great. Um, a great enemy to build an entire, you know, campaign or series of adventures around. Really manipulative. Um, I like the suave, debonair, maybe more uh, than than the uh, kind of Nosferatu um, sorts of sorts of vampires. I guess they could shape shift and, and whatever, but I like that. Give me that old Bela Lugosi, uh, suave, hypnotic vampire type um it's probably my favorite kind of uh presentation of a vampire but anyway yeah i think number two i'm going with the vampire and number one they're low level but i gotta go with zombies ah i love zombie movies love zombie movies and i love throwing millions of zombies at the players one of my favorite movies um horror movies of all time uh it comes up in the the next top three piece because this gave me an idea when i started thinking about zombies i was like you know what that'd be a good top three my top three horror movies not exactly gamer related but this kind of triggered it so but love zombie movies whether it's the original uh night of the living dead um zombie tv shows um, love it. And in fact, this made me re reminded me that I did a five E adventure 
with OSR conversions of a big kind of zombie apocalypse uh, scenario. And so on the uh, Thought Eater blog, Frothsoft, Froth, S-O-F, dnd.blogspot.com, I put up a link to a, a post where I'd put up this uh, zombie adventure. So if anybody's listening to this and wants to download a free 5e slash OSR zombie adventure from Frothy, you can check that out. But the um, thing I like about them is, you know, you can use a few of them at low levels. You can use dozens and dozens and dozens of them. It's something that is really easy for players to picture. Um, and it's just something just iconic in our culture. Um, also like having the players, if they die, you know, a couple weeks later, the, the, the players that lived come back and they see old Johnny. And unfortunately, John, they could tell they got, you know, put him down. Johnny's become a zombie. You know, I've done that a few times where if they die to the undead, you know, they, they, they find, they later find their, their dead, uh, comrade that's now a now walking undead zombie um again like i say low level but they're just something just that permeates our culture and um something about the you know the falling apart i always love giving some flavor you know where i can get really gross with it but you know like they stab the zombie and you know just roaches pour out of its belly or something ah froth don't do that it's disgusting you know, or a spider's given birth in the eyes. Uh, yeah, no, Frost stops. Okay, I'll stop. But anyway, those are my top three. I'm thinking about it. Go with the ghouls and ghasts at number three. Go with the vampire at number two. And the zombies at number one. So I'd definitely love to hear any of the anchorites or anybody else you want to call in and tell me your top three undead or any of the topics we talk about. Let me know. I'd love to hear it. And thanks for the call in, Rob. Uh, when I come back here, the next segment, we're doing my top three horror movies. So I've mentioned before, I'm a huge fan of horror. Um, love it. And it can be any genre, you know, and it can be any quality. <laughs> so I like, you know, famed, you know, classics. Uh, you know, we talked about universal horror. I like, uh, you know, box office smash, you know, cultural phenomenon horror like uh, The Exorcist. And then I like real trash like uh, schlock Italian horror like uh, Hell of the Living Dead. I don't know if any listeners have seen that. Bruno Mattei's Hell of the Living Dead. If you want to see a so bad it's good uh, zombie horror movie, Hell of the Living Dead. You got to trust me on that one. Lots to choose from. I thought about great ones like Evil Dead and Rosemary's Baby and uh, Contact. I love John Carpenter. I thought about that first Halloween and uh, and obviously The Thing. Short story, short aside here. I saw The, Th- the Thing came out in 1982 and I was definitely way too young to go see it in the movie theater. But uh, 1983, at friend's birthday party, the parents must not have had any clue what they were getting. They rented it. So we were all watched on VHS. Uh, freaking The Thing. I don't think the parents were really in the room. It was, it was during the day. You know, it was like a daytime birthday party. 
It's like, eh, throw on the thing for the kids, you know? And it's like the dog's head splitting open and good Lord. It's like, and I was like my daughter's age. God, can you imagine? Definitely be getting some phone calls in this day and age. Uh, but I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I saw it then. It was scary as hell. It's definitely the creature effects. Unbelievable. But so I thought about this, um, Top three horror movies from Froth. Number three, I'm going with Psycho. God, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Now, this one, you can't avoid a spoiler on this one now. You know, it's it's been out too long. They've made spinoff TV shows, you know. But when I saw it, I didn't know... I guess there's no point in me not spoiling it. I didn't know that it was, you know, Norman Bates. You know, I didn't know. I'm watching it, and I'm basically watching it like people must have in the theater, you know? Because I, I didn't know what is the the weird mom is killing and, and all this. And uh, there's so many great parts of that movie. And I've, I've since read and, and a lot about how it was made and how meticulous Hitchcock had... had had uh, kind of done storyboards of the uh, of, of the shower scene and and uh, how planned it was. I love how it kind of starts like it's going to be a completely different movie and then completely changes gear. I love that house on the hill. Oh, what an iconic image that is. That's kind of like my dream house too, as far as just the style that old that old style. You know, they don't make houses like that anymore, but. But the part that really got me was the very end where they go down in the basement and they turn around mom and it's like mummified mom. And then Anthony Perkins comes in the doorway with that wig on and he's got that look of like crazed delight on his face. That look on his face was like, oh, chilling. I end up, you know, on the VHS, you know, rewinding it so I could see that look on the face because I, I loved it you know I, it was such a, a thrilling great moment especially if you have no idea what was what was coming which uh, I don't know how I got that lucky but maybe it's just because I was younger and you know there was no internet or anything so it hadn't been spoiled for me and uh, that's one that just holds up it's still great um, so number three I'm going with Psycho Number two, and this kind of came up with uh, with the this is the one that that came up talk, thinking about the undead that made me actually want to do my top three horror movies, and it's Return of the Living Dead from 1985. Taped it off of HBO, must have watched it a hundred times. This gave me such a love for horror comedy movies, you know, horror that's got comedic elements. Still one of my favorite kind of movies you can watch anything that's like a horror comedy sign me up i love it it's got so many great moments if you've never seen it it's dan o'bannon that that wrote and directed this and dan o'bannon quietly is a name you may have never heard but quietly behind all kinds of great stuff like um alien you know the first alien movie um a bunch of other stuff and um um so 
it's if you haven't seen it it's one you want to see it's a, it's a, got that whole 80s thing going you know some punks and new wave types you know show up at a graveyard at one point um it's got these uh idiosyncratic little weird things like a you know a dog has been you know there's a a dog that's been kind of you know is being used for like a, a teaching tool or something, you know, that, that's, that's been dead and it comes alive, uh, later, um, great creature effects and everything. And it's just my favorite zombie movie, you know, by a mile, you know, not even close. So, um, it, it's it, like I say, it's got comedy, it's got gore, it's got that eighties thing going on. Return of the Living Dead is when I was basically weaned on. I watched that movie so many times. Love it, love it, love it. If you haven't seen that one and you, you like a horror comedy, you know, make sure, don't miss it. Um, and then my number one horror movie. Another one that's got a lot of comedy in it, although you might not believe it based on the title, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first one. Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Toby Hooper, another underrated um, filmmaker, of course, did Poltergeist, which very easily could have been this top three. Poltergeist, my God. <laughs> That's one I saw in the theater. Now, that came out, I believe, in 1982. So I was seven, seven or eight. No, I would have had to have only been seven maximum going to see that. And it was rated PG. Um, and that's the one that, that single-handedly made them, you know, come up with PG 13 as a rating, um, because it wasn't R, but it, it damn sure wasn't PG. <laughs> and it's because Spielberg was like a producer on it. You know, they released that as PG, but you know, picture all the little kids in America in that movie theater, watching the guy tear his face off in the mirror. That one part, it's like, okay, let's, we need something between PG and R soon, you know? <laughs> So, yeah, um, Poltergeist, wow, so great. But that was Toby Hooper. And then, of course, Toby Hooper did the, the, the sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, Texas Ma Chainsaw Massacre 2, which is maligned by many, but I think it's hilarious. Dennis Hopper's in it. It's very funny and, uh, you know, kind of furthers the story. But anyway, back to the original Texas Chainsaw. So low budget, you know, they're filming in like 100 plus degree heat, uh, miserable filming. Uh, if you read about the experience doing it and it's one that, uh, despite the name and everything, there's very little gore at all blood or anything that, that gets shown. Now there are deaths and everything, but it's all about the terror, you know, and it's all about that crazy family and that dinner table scene. Oh, hit her grandpa, you know, hit her. I've never seen that one. That dinner table scene is just, ugh. it's, it's, it's magnificent. It's a masterpiece. The whole fa the weird family, you know, Leatherface putting on his, his best face for that dinner, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to some people, maybe they don't get the humor of it, but the humor shown straight through to me. Um, and, um, uh, reading about the making of it and, and, and the challenges to, to come up with something like that. And, you know, and then Leatherface's you know, dance with a chainsaw at the end. Uh, uh, that's definitely my number one, definitely my number one horror movie. No question. You know, not a contest. 
So I know this uh, this last thing with the horror movies wasn't uh, gaming related, but it it just came up from the undead. So I thought I'd talk about it. But you know, regardless of it being gaming or not, hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you've got a top top three on any of the subjects I talked about, obviously, if you're on Anchor, you can message me or you know use them on your own podcast. However, I'd love to hear them about uh, you know these or any of previous topics or whatever. So. Anyway, want to give a big thank you to Angus, to Evil Jeff, to Arfed, to Rob C for calling in. Y'all made the show so much better, so thank you. Really appreciate you calling in. Like I say, made the show better than it would have been otherwise, so thank you for that. Um, if you've got any more ideas, use the Anchor Voice message system that I've been plugging, or you can email me, frothsoft, frothsof, at gmail.com. Go by and check out the companion blog post for this on the Thought Eater blog, frothsoftdnd.blogspot.com. Check out that old, uh, I, I did it right, I did it before the DMG or anything was even out. It was just when the 5e playtest had just, uh, actually it was right when the, uh, I had done a previous edition for 4e and then the when the starter set came out, so it was before the core books, it was just like the starter set was out, I went ahead and kind of converted it to 5e and so... It's uh, you know it's 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 not exactly probably according to exact five E balance or whatever, but luckily it's a zombie horde, zombie apocalypse thing, so there's no real balance there anyway. It's kind of a um, well, you check it out, see what you think. I won't won't spoil any more about it. Um, I, I I got some positive feedback on it when I released it, and uh, it's been a while since I mentioned it, so it's called the Town of Bridge Puddle. So go over to the Thought Eater blog and, and download that uh, free PDF and, and see what you think about that. I want to thank my patrons for backing my patrons for backing me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Thought Eater. Really appreciate y'all uh, your continued support. Thank you very much. It's only a dollar a month. If uh, there's any listeners out there that are enjoying what I what I'm doing and want to chip in a buck a month uh, towards my efforts, that would be awesome. So. Patreon.com forward slash Thought Eater. Hump Day Bloggeramas right around the corner. Was uh, kind of starting to lay it all out um, today. And I uh, think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be quite good. So hopefully you'll be able to check that out. Logan, take me home. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. Zeroing in on your mental trade Gonna help you escape from the grind Thought eater gonna blow your mind